So, a little bit about Liz and I. You know, 42 years of marriage, but we've been in ministry now for about 36. We started out in, as missionaries in Nepal, and we went there for four years straight. I mean, not coming back and forth. Four years we were in Nepal. Came back from that, we ended up pastoring in my hometown of Forsyth, Montana. Anybody know where that is? 100 miles east of Billings. Pastored there for about four years. Then we went to Rama. You know, we, we kind of do things different than other folks. We, we kind of back into some things, and that seems to work for me. It worked really good because after I was at Rama, oh, that's how I should have done that. <laughs> and occasionally, oh, I did that right. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but after Rama, we went to Siberia. While we're at Rama, the Lord told us, name your ministry, Ends of the Earth Ministries. And I tell you what, if Siberia is not the end of the earth, you can see it from there. <laughs> After Siberia, we pastored, suffered for Jesus in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, on the beach for 16 years. And now God's got us full-time back in missions. In fact, we are the mission team directors for AFCM. That's the Association of Faith Churches and Ministers, headed up by Jim Caseman, one of the charter graduates of Rama Bible Training College. I always have to put the college on there. I'm used to saying center. But uh, I, we work with Jim. In fact, we're on his executive support team as well, so we're, we're in the, the leadership of AFCM, and we get to go around the world. Uh, and what we're doing, see, our mission philosophy, I'll just do this real quick and simple. Our mission philosophy is to train up the leaders in these other nations. They'll then put it in their people. Their people will then reach their nation, and we're raising up missionaries in third world countries. These missionaries are going across the borders and getting churches started in, in Cambodia, in Laos, in Burma, in Indonesia. Missionaries going from the Philippines, missionaries going from Vietnam into these places. It's awesome. Amen. Filipinos going into Thailand, Thailand going into Burma. <laughs> It's cool. And that needs to happen because before the end comes, every tribe, every tongue, every people group has got to hear. You know, Matthew 24, 14 says that. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to every nation. Nation meaning people group, language group, tribal groups. There's still 7,000 of them that haven't been reached. Still 7,000 of them. And then that verse says, then the end will come. When's the end going to come? When these guys all hear. <laughs> Amen. And the best way to get these unreached tribes to hear is to go to the tribe that's living next to them that is saved and train up leaders and train up missionaries. They'll go right across the border. They already know the language. They already know the culture. So much easier than an American trying to go do it. And they're so much more effective than an American doing it. No, the American job is to go train these leaders. And that's what we're doing. Amen. Amen. We've got a Bible school that we're doing in, in a lot of different countries now. It's the AFCM Bible School. It's very similar to what is taught at, at Rama, And what we're doing is putting it in other languages on videotape. And so we, we've got it in America. We've got it in the Philippines. We've got it in Kenya running in English because they can understand English there. But then the Lord dropped it on my heart and said, you know, there's so many countries that don't understand English, you need to get it in their languages. And so I'm thinking, how do we do that? You know, we, we've tried to do it by overdubbing the English before. And, you know, it's kind of cool when that works. You know, I, I've seen Dr. Jim Caseman speaking in Mandarin Chinese with a female voice, you know. It's, like, <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> but that takes forever to get that done. And it's, 
and it's, it's all kinds of resources, all kinds of time, and so the Lord dropped it in our heart. Just go over there, bring the instructors in, have a good interpreter standing right next to you, and then just capture it all on state-of-the-art video and audio. And so that's what we've been doing. We did it last year in Thailand, did it in two languages in Thailand. We did it in Thai, we did it in Shan. The Shan language is a big tribe in Burma. They're also in Thailand, so it worked, you know. And so the Shan translation is going to go all through Burma. Praise God. And so just, just before Christmas, we did it in Nepal. And we did 240 hours of quality Bible instruction with 13 different instructors. 13, 12, something like that. I get lost in the numbers sometimes. And now we're starting the video schools. Praise God. The church, I'm going to show you some pictures of it here in a minute, and then we'll get into the word. But the the church that we did this in is in West Nepal, not where everybody goes. Everybody goes to Kathmandu and East. And the people that haven't been reached in Nepal, there's 250 tribes in Nepal. Ten of them have been reached. So that's a few that need to be reached. Well, a lot of them live right on the border of this big church that we go to, church of 2,000 people. And so we did the school there. We had 20 students going through the live school while we were recording. I mean, these guys, they stuck it out six hours a day, five to six days a week for 10 weeks. And they stuck it out, and they graduated, and they were really happy about it. Well, now we got the video in Nepali. And this church of 2000 has got 21 daughter churches scattered around in villages around this central city that they're in. And we're getting the, the video Bible school in all those churches. I got contacts with people that got oversight of, one guy's got oversight of 30 churches. He wants to use it for his 30. I got another guy that's got oversight of about 100 churches in Nepal. And he's, think, he's, he's praying about using it because he's been doing a live school forever. But he's, you know, he, he's saying, I can only train so many. And with this, we could train a whole bunch. So that's what's going on. And then we're going to take this year. See, we're doing this every year, different language. This year, we're going, we're going to do it in Spanish. We're going to do it in Peru. We're going to get it all over the Latin-speaking world. I, I know there's Rama, there's Rama schools in, in, in Latin America. That's great. You know, we need about 1,000 more of them, <laughs> amen, to get it all done. And so let's roll that video, and then we'll get into the Word. Harvest is ripe, the time is now, all of creation cries. Praise the Lord, that gives you a little bit of idea of, of what we're doing. I mean, that's, that was just one trip. When we do a trip, we stay for four months. We go to Asia, and, you know, we were in, in, in Nepal doing that Bible school, uh, ten weeks in the same hotel room. <laughs> Thank God it was a good hotel. <laughs> Pretty good-sized room, awesome, awesome uh, restaurant, and uh, cheap. Tw- 22 bucks a day for that. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> so I took my coat off because I, 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 I can already sense it. I'm going to get hot. So <laughs> it's, it's, No, I just mean because uh, we're going to do some preaching. We're going to, you know, I, I'm, I spend my time overseas teaching. There's days when it's six hours a day teaching. But when I get to the States, I get to let my hair down a little bit, <laughs> and preach. Really enjoyed praise and worship so many times when we're overseas. I mean, it sounds great, but I ain't got a clue what they're saying. <laughs> so, so we just enter in and, you know, and worship God in tongues and make up songs as we're, you know, put it to their melody, and it, which is kind of fun, but 
it's better if we can enter in together in the same language and feel more part of it, if you know what I mean. So thank you, worship team. That was awesome. Really enjoyed it. Praise God. Well, you ready for the word? Because I believe this is a word in due season right now for celebration of life. I, I do believe it. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. See, the, this morning I believe the Lord wants us to look at the vision of Elijah and how he came to obtain it. Well, what was Elijah's vision? Well, he had a vision of double the anointing of his mentor Elijah. And when he asked for it, Elijah told him, well, you've asked for a hard thing, but if you see me when I'm taken, well, then I think it'll be yours. But how did Elijah get to this point? How did he get to this vision of double the anointing? Here in 1 Kings 19, we find Elijah plowing behind his oxen. I mean, he's going back and forth across the field. He's not doing anything wrong, but yet there's nothing jumping on the inside of him. There's, there's no vision going on in his life. And see, he's not walking in the perfect will of God at this point in his life. He's farming. Now, if you're called to farm, that, you know, there's nothing against that. I grew up on a farm. I, I kind of like farming, but God set me free from it. <laughs> Glory to God. And he set Elijah free from it. See, he's not walking in the perfect will of God for his life, and he needed to be set free so that he could. 1 Kings 19, verse 19. So he, speaking of Elijah, departed from there and found Elijah, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. Now, pause for just a minute. 12 yoke of oxen is, this is a large operation. I mean, this is 12 plows, 24 oxen, two to a plow. Big operation, not a small deal. You know, you were big back then if you had five. (laughs) You were big if you had two. You were normal if you had one. (laughs) So, 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. Now, Elijah threw his mantle on him. Mantle is symbolic of the anointing. We know that, but I'll tell you what, that mantle had an anointing in it. We know from the Word of God in our circles that a piece of cloth can carry an anointing. You can transfer the anointing into a piece of cloth and put it on somebody else, even days later, and see an effect. Some of the biggest miracles that I've ever seen in our ministry happened just that way. We had, when we were pastoring in North Myrtle Beach, we had some, we were doing healing meetings. We did them on a regular basis. Well, we had some of our church members with relatives that couldn't get there. In fact, one had a relative in Georgia and couldn't get there. This relative had a brain tumor, inoperable. Doctor said, she's dead. She's not going to make it. Well, we laid hands on a piece of cloth, sent it in the mail to her. She stuck it on her head, went back to the doctor. Tumor's gone. (laughs) Praise God. Cloth can carry an anointing. And so Elijah threw his mantle on him. Elijah threw the anointing on Elijah. See, isn't it good to know that even if you're not walking in God's perfect will for your life, he can have somebody come across your path, throw the anointing on you, and set you free so that you can do what God's called you to do. Amen. Elijah threw the anointing on Elijah. The anointing broke that bondage of seeing everything the same, back and forth, plowing day after day after day. It is so mundane. I grew up doing that. Thank God I had a tractor. It goes a little faster than a, than a couple of oxen, but it's still slow. I mean, you just, you, you, uh, 12 hours a day, uh, get to the end of the field, turn around. Uh. <laughs> oh, 
whoa, that's boring. <laughs> you know, sometimes people ask us, how do you guys drive so much? Because during the year, we'll drive coast to coast. And we've got churches to minister to, places we're going to minister. We go to the East Coast first, usually, in January. And we do, you know, like a seven-week trip, coming to the, from the East Coast back to home to Montana. Then we do the West Coast. We've already done that this year. Uh, we, we bought a new car this year. already got 16,000 miles on it. But people ask, how do you drive so much? I say, are you kidding? I grew up on a farm driving a boring old tractor. Now I get to go on the highway at 80 miles an hour, and the scenery is just changing all the time. It's constant entertainment for me. (laughs) Plowing is mundane. See, the bondage was destroyed because of the anointing. Elijah's vision came to life. He couldn't be content with farming anymore. Couldn't be content with going back and forth with the plow. See, when the anointing comes on you, you see what could be instead of just what is. That anointing will show you God's purpose for your life and then it sets you free so that you can pursue it. There's so much more in God than just surviving. Hello. I mean, you can survive in God's permissive will, but the perfect will is where the action is. The perfect will is where you'll have your enjoyment. The perfect will is where your your vision will be fulfilled. I think there's just way too many people here in America that are satisfied with just merely making it to heaven. I mean, they got their fire insurance, (laughs) if you know what I mean. (laughs) Well, I said the prayer, I'm going to heaven. I got my fire insurance, ain't going to hell. (laughs) But yet they're just content with barely making it. And they're missing the perfect will of God for their life. They're missing that ultimate call. They're missing that plan and purpose that God set beforehand. Before he even created the world, he's got one for every individual. And see, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I want to hear him say, well done. You did what I asked you to do. I never want to see him put his hands on his hips and look at me and and say, well, Niall, what were you thinking? Amen. So, so much more to God than just surviving. You know, Elijah came walking out to Elijah where he was plowing. And and farmers really don't like people walking on their dirt, walking on their work. They really don't. And see, I grew up on on, on a farm, you know, down by Forsyth, 100 miles, well, a couple hundred miles east of here. And my dad was a good farmer. And there you've got to irrigate everything or you're not going to get a crop. And we were growing row crops, sugar beets, beans, that kind of thing. And so to irrigate that, you, you, gotta, you have the rows and then you have little ditches running down every row and the water's got to run down those rows and you've got to have that field perfectly prepared before you ever plant it or you'll never get the water to run down the road. And so my job was running the land plane, getting it all nice and smooth. And I remember one day... Got this, I mean, it looks beautiful. It's just all nice and smooth. My dad pulls in with the planter. He does one pass down the field, and here comes this city slicker. This guy from town pulls up in his vehicle. Dad's clear on the other end of the field, and I'm over on that end with my dad, too, and I'm thinking, what's that guy going to do? 
Pretty, pretty sure he was wanting to sell my dad something, you know. So he just starts driving out across this perfectly prepared field. I look over at my dad, and his face is turning red, and the veins in his neck are starting to stick out. And I'm thinking, I better go meet that guy and turn him around if he wants to get out of here alive. <laughs> Farmers don't want people messing with their dirt. And so Elijah's coming walking out there to Elijah, and I'm pretty sure Elijah's going, Hey, dude, what are you doing? get off my dirt don't be messing with my dirt and see we find a lot of Christians today (laughs) you were wondering where I was going with that (laughs) wanting to be in a church under a pastor that won't mess with their dirt (laughs) somebody that'll tickle their ears stroke their backs never step on their toes people think and some even say just let me live the way I want to Just, I'm comfortable this way, or in other words, just leave my dirt alone. But see, uh, y'all are in a church under pastors that'll mess with your dirt, I'm sure. (laughs) If your dirt needs kicked, he'll come and kick it, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) But see, here's the deal. If you live just the way that you want to, if you never change stuff, what you never change you're willing to tolerate, those things that you're willing to tolerate can keep you from fulfilling your vision, can keep you from actually getting the job done. That anointing came on Elijah. He let go of the plow and went after the vision. The bondage was destroyed because of the anointing, and his purpose came to life. His vision is jumping up and down on the inside of him. He ran after the man of God to be his helper. Now, somebody may have even asked him, Ooh, Elijah, what's your job title? I ain't got one. Don't have one. Oh, oh, I bet you you're going to be his administrative pastor and take care of his business. No. Oh, I know. When he gets tired of laying hands on people, then you get to do it. No, that's not it. Oh, oh, I bet you you're going to take up his offering messages for him. No, that's not it. Well, what are you going to do? Well, if you read the story, it says that he poured water on his hands. (laughs) Now, that loses something in the translation here in America. But if you go to some of the... Some of the nations Liz and I go to, it's a big deal. There's no running water. How are you going to get your hands washed? I mean, you're going to, one, pour water, one, pour water. It, it's, it's a hassle. And so if you got somebody there to pour water on your hands, what's that person doing? He's serving. And so when Elijah said, I'm going to pour water on his hands, what he was really saying is, I'm there to do whatever needs to be done. I'm there to help the man of God fulfill his vision. Amen. Now, let me ask you this. Let me, let me take, take a drink, drink of water here. Good. <laughs> How many of you got a vision? Let me, let me ask it a little bit differently. How many of you know what your purpose is? How many of you know what God wants you involved with? Nobody? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm really wanting to show my hands here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> see, see, that's better. <laughs> Let me give you a, some really good advice. You want to see your vision come to pass? Hook up with your pastor and help his vision come to pass. Hook up with the man and woman of God 
and help their vision. See, if, and if you're in this church, you're a member of this church, called to this church, then your vision's going to come right underneath the pastor's vision, and your vision really needs to come to pass in order for the whole vision of the church to come to pass. That's how it works. You know, we've been working with Brother Jim Caseman for a long time. I, I, you know, I can't even remember how many years. I first heard him preach in Bozeman in 1982. He came and preached in a full gospel businessmen's meeting, and he, he was advertised as a missionary. Liz and I were feeling the tug towards missions, and so we said, let's go hear what this missionary's got to say. Well, he, he preached on faith like nobody had ever heard before, because it, it was new to us, but he never said one thing about missions. <laughs> he never said one thing about Russia. He was doing a bunch of stuff in Russia at that point, but he preached faith. He's the one that introduced us to Kenneth E. Hagin. And see, when he graduated Rama and started AFCM, if somebody asked him, what's your vision, you know what he'd say? He said, my vision is to help Kenneth E. Hagin fulfill his vision. Well, what was Kenneth E. Hagin's vision? His vision was to go teach my people faith. And part of that vision was to show people how to be led by the Spirit of God as well. And so those two things big in Brother Hagin's ministry, well, those two things big in Jim Caseman's ministry because he's there to help Kenneth E. Hagin fulfill his vision. And then if somebody asks me, what's your vision? Well, my vision is to help Jim Caseman fulfill his vision. <laughs> you know. And see, if you'll go ahead and hook up with the man of God that's over you, help them with your vision, with their vision, then your vision will take care of itself. That's just how it works. See, this is what Elijah did. He, I mean, he hooked up with Elijah for somewhere between 15 and 20 years. He served him. He poured water on his hands. He did whatever needed to be doing. He was a servant to the man of God. 15 to 20 years, he was not no six-month flash-in-the-pan kind of guy. <laughs> Amen. Now go with me to 2 Kings 2. 2 Kings 2. This gets better. Elijah had left a good place, running his father's farm, no small operation. He followed a man that he really didn't know all that well. I mean, think about it. Just met him. And he goes running after him after he slaughters his oxen and burns up a plow. <laughs> he goes running after him. And he began to pursue his dream. He began to follow his vision by helping the man of God with his vision. Served him for 15 to 20 years. 2 Kings 2 verse 9. And so it was when they crossed over that Elijah said to Elijah, Ask, what may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? Elijah said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And Elijah's vision is now jumping up and down on the inside of him. He's going for it. He's pressing in on it. Verse 10. So he said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Do you know what I always thought when I read this in the past? I always thought that it only meant if he was standing there and saw Elijah when he was taken off into that, in that chariot. I always thought that's all it meant. He'd get his vision. Well, it does mean that, but it means so much more besides. Have you ever said, you know, that guy and I, we just don't see eye to eye. We're just not on the same page. Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? See, Elijah and Elijah walking very close together because they're in agreement. And see, Elijah said, if you see me when I'm taken from you, I'm confident I'm sure he was also saying, if you and I are seeing eye to eye, if you and I are on the same page, if you understand what I understand, if you know what I know, if you've kept your motives pure and your attitudes right, 
If you've been loyal and faithful to me before I go, then you'll get your double. Pretty sure it said all of that. Now, <laughs> look, at, look at verse 11. Then it happened as they continued on to talk that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Did you ever catch that whirlwind part before? I mean, he went to heaven in a tornado. <laughs> That's what a whirlwind is. I always had this picture, you know, he got in the back of the chariot and just kind of rode off to heaven. No, it was a tornado took him up. I'm pretty sure he was in the chariot. But see, he, Elijah was so close to Elijah that it took horses of fire and a chariot of fire to separate the two of them. Now, I want us to compare this with the sons of the prophets. Now, who are they? Well, we'll read about them, 2 Kings 2, verses 5 through 8. Look what it says. Now, the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elijah and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yeah, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me onto the Jordan. But he said, Elijah said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I'll not leave you. So the two of them went on, and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went, stood facing them at a distance. Everybody say, at a distance. At a distance. Stood there facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and it was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. That mantle was anointed. <laughs> there was some power in that cloth. See, these 50 sons of the prophets, think about this. They had the same mentor. His name was Elijah. They'd gone to the same Bible school run by prophet Elijah. But yet they stood at a distance on the other side of the river, just a-watching and a-waiting. And what did they get? Nothing. <laughs> See, I mean, it's hard to be involved from a distance. It's difficult to serve from a distance. Hard to do it if you've got to reach across the river to do it. I mean, it's, it's difficult to see eye to eye from a long ways away. Now, you've got to get close to see eye to eye. You've got to get close so that the anointing will break the bondages off of you. You've got to be close to the anointing so that your vision comes to life. Now, go with me to Isaiah 40. We're going to read a verse that's very familiar, but I think we're going to learn something new. See, I would say that the sons of the prophets had a bad day. <laughs> I mean, what'd they get? Nothing. <laughs> you know, and some might say, yeah, but, you know, Elijah didn't invite them. He didn't invite Elijah either. He said, you stay here. And Elijah said, ain't no way I'm staying over here. I'm with you. <laughs> I mean, and see, what was that? Well, it was a test. Elijah passed. The 50 sons of the prophets flunked. See, are there tests that come from God? Well, yeah, he doesn't test us with sickness and disease. He doesn't test us with poverty and lack. He doesn't test us with, with tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and such. He tests us, well, will, will you do what I say? Will you trust me and obey? And see, we can all miss that, and we all have. I've missed it before. But here's what I know about God. When he sends you one of those tests and you flunk, it's coming around again. <laughs> You will have another opportunity to take that test again and see if that test was true and false and you circled false the last time, this time circle true. <laughs> go, go ahead, pass that test and get on with what God's got for you. So anybody can have a bad day. 
bad week, bad month, even a bad year, but you've got to get over it. You've got to get past it, press on with the vision. And in order to do that, you've got to get close to the anointing. Isaiah 40, verse 31. Did you find it? Very familiar. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But those who wait on the Lord. What's that mean? Does that mean just hang out waiting from a distance? See, that's what the 50 sons of the prophets were doing. And they got nothing. See, wait here means to bind together. It means to intertwine together. In fact, the word picture in the Hebrew gives us this. You know, when they would make a rope back in Elijah's day, they would take one strand, and if they're doing it inside, they'd tie it to a beam in the ceiling, and they'd stretch it tight, tie a big rock on the bottom of it, keep it stretched, and then they would take two or three other strands and then braid them, intertwine them into that one that was weighed down. That weighed down strand was called a weight. That's what that word weight means. And so this verse is really saying those who stand and let God wrap himself around them, those who stand and get intertwined, get braided into the presence of God, those are the ones that will run and not be weary. Those are the ones that ha- will have their strength renewed. Those are the ones that will soar like an eagle. Those are the ones that will walk and not faint. Amen. Now, it's difficult to make a rope from a distance, you know. Got to be able to reach it. I'd say it's impossible to do it from the other side of a river. <laughs> so what am I talking about? I'm talking about getting close to the anointing. I'm talking about getting close to your mentor. I'm talking about being side by side with the, with the man of God in your life, the one that God's put over you as a covering. I mean, I'm talking about hooking up with their vision. Verse 31, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Those who wait on, those who intertwine themselves in the presence of God. Amen. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. You know, I once read a story about a a pilot who had his own twin engine airplane. And while flying it one day, he heard a noise he had never heard before. And it bothered him because he'd never heard it before. And and he said it was like this munching, kind of twitching kind of sound, kind of... It was coming from above his head, and he went, Man, what, what is that? And so he radioed back to the airport that he took off from. You know, they knew everybody in this airport. And he's talking to the guy in the tower, and he says, you know, I got this weird noise going on. It sounds like it's above my head. And, of course, the guy at the airport says, you need to check your gauges. You know, well, he'd already done all that. They all checked out okay. And then the guy at the airport said, now, I want you to flip one more switch. And when this particular flip switch is flipped... <laughs> A red light is supposed to come on. He flips the switch, no red light, and, of course, now he's alarmed, and the guy at the airport saying, you got a problem. And he says, yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree, I got a problem. Well, the guy at the airport went on to say, I think you got a rat in your ceiling panels chewing on your hot wires. And if he continues, he's going to shut your engines down. <laughs> and so the guy said, oh, oh, I need to come back to the airport and land. And the guy, guy, the guy at the airport says, you ain't got time for that. Well, I can't land this plane in the trees. The guy says, well, I don't want you to land. Here's what I want you to do. Pull your throttle out all the way. Pull back on the yoke, and you just go higher than you've ever been before. 
That's what the guy did. I mean, he's way up there, higher than he's ever been before. He's worried about oxygen for himself, you know. I mean, he's way up there. He stayed there until that twitching noise quit. Then he went back to the airport that he took off from, and the guy at the airport came out and helped him. They pulled the ceiling panel off, and sure enough, there's a dead rat. <laughs> See, at that particular airport, if you let planes stand around too long, rats get in there looking for shelter and food, you know. I mean, a rat will get into anything if it can. And then when the plane takes off into the higher altitude where the air gets cold, they start searching out the hot wires. They start searching out the wires that got juice running through them because they're warm. And they get up next to those hot wires, and being a rat, he can't help himself. He's just got to chew through it. <laughs> and so what did he do? He went higher. He went higher than a rat can fly. <laughs> now, what you might be wondering, what in the world does this got to do with anything? Well, let me tell you. When you got rats chewing on your hot wires, when you're dealing with rats in your spiritual life, now, you know, talking about using rat for a term for demon, rats that eat your vision, contaminate your faith, rats of offense, rats trying to push you into fear, rats trying to get you into doubt, flesh rats tempting you to sin, rat attacks sent from the enemy, what do you need to do? You need to go higher than that rat can fly. They that wait upon the Lord, they that wrap themselves up into the presence of God, intertwine themselves, get up into the presence, they shall fly high. Higher than a rat can fly. Amen. Amen. Higher than those demons can tolerate. See, those attacks from the enemy, those temptations to criticize, murmur, complain, even maybe criticize, murmur, and complain about your covering. What is that? That's a rat attempting to attach himself to your hot wire and shut down your vision. Just need to go higher. Next level, higher than that rat can fly. It'll fall off by the wayside. You know, when Liz and I first went to Nepal, I'm on this weird diet. It makes me thirsty. <laughs> but when Liz and I first went to Nepal, this was 30, gosh, 34 years ago, I think, there, was no, there were no English speakers in the country, hardly at all. There was just a few that were teaching uh, English to some people. But uh, we had to learn, read, write, and speak Nepali. We had to pass an exam or we couldn't stay. That was the government's condition. Well, you know, talk about some pressure. <laughs> so so we, you, had a, you had a year, but you had to pass. You had to pass reading, writing. And if you've ever seen, well, you saw a little bit of the Nepali script on the video. I mean, it does not look like anything recognizable. <laughs> and so we, when we first got there, we knew that. So we rented a house in, uh, with Nepali family. They lived on the first floor. We lived on the second floor. And in order to get to our place, you had to walk through there, and you had to talk to them on a regular basis. I mean, you can't just walk through. That's impolite. You're going to have to stop and talk. Well, that really helped us. Well, at the point when we were moving into Nepal like that, uh, Nepal was a Hindu kingdom. Hinduism was just, I mean, just really rampant and dark. They would have a, a Hindu festival, and when they did, it was... It'd go on for a week, especially this one. It'd go on for a week, and they're worshiping trees. They're worshiping rocks. They're worshiping these carved idols. And if you want to know what a Hindu idol looks like, just picture a demon, and that's it. 
They're, they're bringing blood sacrifices. They're, I mean, and there's chanting going on. There's weird music playing. It's just for a week. I mean, it's just dark as dark can be. And some people might say, well, you know, they're just bowing down to rocks and that kind of thing. You know, I, no. Here's what's going on. When they're bowing down and giving sacrifices to these idols, demons are right there receiving the attention. And when, those, when that was going on, that, I mean, this country would just get so dark. It would just be, ah, uh, it's everywhere. And the best thing for a missionary to do right then is to just kind of hide. Because <laughs> at that point, you could get killed going into those kind of situations. They were so anti-Christian. And so we're kind of, we're in our you know, second floor, listening to all this going on. I mean, it's just a ruckus. It's been going on for a week, day and night. Weird chanting, weird music. The devil (laughs) was just in the atmosphere. And then I heard something different out in our courtyard. And uh, there is a witch doctor in in my courtyard. There is a, they call them junkery. There's a junkery out there in the courtyard putting on a show for the family that we're learning to love and we're, leading, we're wanting to lead to Jesus, you know. And so I went and looked over the balcony, and when I did, yeah, sure enough, here's this witch doctor, this junkery, and he's putting on a demon-possessed show. He's, I mean, he's practically foaming at the mouth. He's so possessed. And then he looks up at me, and he says, Lord Jesus, in English, perfect English, and then he rattled off a bunch of curse words, swear words in English. This guy didn't know English, but that demon did. He just, I mean, it was a straight up front challenge. And after I got past the shock, <laughs> I said, oh, yeah? <laughs> you, knew who, you know who you're messing with, devil? I'm going down there. I'm casting that devil right out of me. I started down the stairs, and the Spirit of God checked me. And I was, What? I said, Lord, he's challenging you and me because you're in me. He's challenging us. Lord says, I know it, but he wants that demon. Actually, he said to me, he wants those demons because there was a legion. And if he wants it and he doesn't want rid of it, none of his family wants rid of it, you cast it out, it'll just come back seven more besides. I said, yeah, but Lord, we got to do something. We can't just sit here and, and go and let that challenge stand. And he said, get with Liz. Now he's just talking to me on the inside. Get with Liz and you start praising and worshiping me. And so we did. And we started singing at the top of our lungs and we went from one song to the other. I mean, it was anointed. It was just effortless. I mean, once about a half hour of that, we stopped. And when we did, there was a holy hush all over the place. There was not a dog barking. There was not a baby crying. There was no weird music playing. There's no chanting. There was no bells ringing silence I went and looked over the balcony and sure enough that demon possessed guy was gone but the Nepali family was just sitting in the same place they quit watching him because he left and they just were sitting there listening to us and I said what happened of course I'm you know in Nepali as best I could what happened he said well that guy as soon as you started singing he jumped up and ran for his life amen now See, one size don't fit all. Sometimes you you, you don't just cast devils out (laughs) willy-nilly. Well, I'm casting that devil out. No, be led by the Spirit. 
there may be something else that needs to take place, and that's what needed to take place there. And when we did that, it opened the door for us to share Jesus with this family, and several of them received the Lord. Amen. Now, let me tell you some more things about rats. Because <laughs> my wife and I, we, we, we got a lot of experience with rats in the natural and in the spiritual. See, after we'd been in Nepal, we moved out to a village area. Now, the village area, I'm talking, we would ride in a four-wheel drive vehicle for a day, bumping and grinding over some of the roughest roads ever, have to cross two rivers so we'd have to wait until the rivers dropped after the monsoon so we could get across them. When we got to the end of the road, then we'd get out and we would walk for two days. And when I say walk for two days, this is not on the level. This is Nepal. This is the Himalayas. I mean, this is, it all is like this. So there was, there was a time where we'd have to go up and over a 10,000-foot a, a pass. We'd start at 3,000 feet, go up and over 10,000 feet, drop back down to 7,000 feet before we could stop for the night. So that was one day of, of walking. And so this is the kind of place that we were moving into. And when we got there, I mean, the, the, Jesus had not been named for several hundred-mile radius. There was, there was not a missionary. There was nobody that ever heard the name of Jesus. When we moved out there, they had never even seen a Western person before. They'd never seen a whitey guy before. So we'd walk through villages, and they'd take one look at us and go, oh, what, the, what is that? You know, some of the kids would look at us and scream and run in terror. You know, then, what is that? You know, some of them just sit there and giggle. You know. <laughs> when Liz and I went out there the first time to get the lay of the land, we went out with three other, three other missionary women were, were with us. I was, the only, I was the only guy. And so we'd be walking through the village, and you could hear them say, oh, look, here comes a whitey. And he's got three wives. <laughs> but you can tell which one he loves the most. <laughs> I mean, we were just so new to him. And see, we moved into a village house. Uh, I'm talking village. This is mud floors. This is kind of what you read about in the old missionary stories. We had rock and mud, mudder, mud mortar walls. Nepalis are really good at putting rocks together. I mean, they are masons. And they stick them together with mud. And these are substantial structures. I mean, the walls are this thick, two stories. So they're, <laughs> I mean, and then a slate rock roof. So slate shingles for a roof. Now, we moved into that house in no running water, no electricity. And after six months of living out there, we had to go back to civilization because, you know, we needed to restock our supplies and we needed to regain our sanity. And when we left, the rats invaded See, we knew there was a few rats. I'd already trapped a few, you know. I'd, yeah, I'd trap one here or there. But then uh, when we left, they just came in. And, and I didn't know they would chew through anything. They'll chew through plastic. You know, they'll chew through wires. They'll chew, chew anything they can chew through, they will. We came back after a month, and they had totally invaded. I mean, they got through all the Tupperware and ate everything that was in that. They, they ate a Bible that my grandma gave me. I was so mad, and so I had two snap traps for rats about this size, like a mouse trap, only way bigger, and one of them was stainless steel, even had teeth sticking up at the bottom. Ooh, he's nasty, that one. <laughs> we, got, we got in that day, and, we, and I set both of them, and I, I already knew if you're setting a rat trap, you got to go ahead and tie a wire on it and then pound a nail into your mud floor and tie the wire on that so you don't have to chase the trap down after it catches one. 
<laughs> so I, I set them both. Liz and I went up to go to bed, and we hadn't even got our eyes closed, and we were snap, trying to get away. You know, Liz says, "You got one. Go, go empty it." So hold on, hold on, because you know, 30 seconds later, snap, second one. I said, "Just I'm waiting until it quits going." And so after they quit moving around, dumped them, set them again. I did that all night. So I learned something about rats. Here's what I know. They are close to blind. What's that mean? Well, they got no vision. And see, you, were, you and I were made to soar with wings like eagles, so don't hang with the rats. Don't let rats hang on you. They got no vision, and they'll try to keep you from yours. The primary way they'll try to keep you from your vision is to put distance between you and the covering that God has hooked you up with. The second thing about rats is they have a weak backbone. See, those rat traps are designed to break their back. It's weak. And if it doesn't do it on the first snap, then it happens as they go. <laughs> that's, why, that's why they finally quit going. <laughs> so not only can they not see, they have no vision. They can't stand for anything either. No backbone. Little resistance and they fold. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. You remember when Peter denied the Lord those three times and then he heard, ur, ur, ur. Remember that? <laughs> Peter had let a rat in. A demon influenced him so that he wouldn't stand for Jesus. No backbone. And who was it that had the vision? Uh, that was Jesus. And who was Peter's covering? Again, that was Jesus. And, you know, before, before Peter denied the Lord, you read about it. What was he doing? He was following Jesus at a distance. He was way behind, you know, just checking out what's going to happen. See, he's already losing his backbone before he ever was challenged. Now, a third thing about rats is they're hard-headed. That's the hardest part of their body is their head. That's how they can burrow into places. That's how they can get into airplanes. They use that head as, as a wedge so that they can get the rest of the body through. So not only are rats, they don't have a vision. They can't see. They don't have a backbone, so they can't stand for the vision. They are hard-headed. They are stubborn about not seeing or standing for the vision. What's my point? Well, hard-headed rats keep people stuck in their ways, seeing everything the same, back and forth, plowing that field, business as usual. Rats keep people from seeing the vision, standing for the vision, and changing so vision can come. Rats are keeping people on the wrong side of the river, at a distance, separated from the bigger vision. What's the answer? Take it to another level. Go higher into the presence of God. Higher than a rat can fly. I mean, isn't that what Peter eventually did? Yeah, man, on the day of Pentecost, he got baptized in the Holy Ghost, started it speaking in other tongues, and then God tapped him on the shoulder and said, You're up, Peter. Preach this Pentecostal sermon today. And Peter stood up and he preached. He preached with fire. He preached with power. 3,000 people added unto the kingdom this very day. That's what Peter did. And that's what we can do. We can do the same thing. 
For those who wait upon the Lord, those who entangle themselves, those who go ahead and braid themselves into the presence of God, they shall mount up with wings like eagles and you'll start flying over all the problems, all the traps that the enemy is setting for you. You don't have to go through them. You can fly right over them because when you get high like that, the devil says, I ain't messing with them. I'm, 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 I'm running from that. I mean, they're resisting me. And, and, and when Christians know what they're doing and resist me, I run as in terror. Right. <laughs> Amen. Now, as we're closing this, you might be wondering, well, what kind of ministry could happen after a message like this? Well, here's what I know. I'm not, I'm not Elijah. I'm not a prophet. But I'll tell you, my wife and I are packing an anointing to get stuff started. We are packing an anointing to help people get unstuck, to help people get past any bondage that's been holding them back from running for their vision. We're anointed to get people moving in the plan and purpose that God's got for their life. See, that's what we're doing all over the, all over the world. We're going in, we're teaching faith, but we're ministering in the power to get those guys to go where they've never gone before to get them to, to preach the gospel in places they've not even thought about before. And they're doing it. And so here's, here's why I'm bringing all that up. There's an anointing on me to help people run with their vision. There's an anointing on me to get people set free from stuff that maybe is holding back their vision. There's an anointing on me that when it gets on you, you begin to see your vision. Because there's, there's plenty of folks that, well, I'm not really knowing what I'm supposed to be doing. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm to be part of a church. I know all that, but what's my job? What's my assignment? What should I be doing? What's my vision that will help the pastor fulfill his vision? I'm not quite sure what it is. Well, the anointing will set you free so that you see it. The anointing will not only set you free, the anointing will empower you to go ahead and begin doing it. And you'll do it with the power of the Holy Ghost. You won't be doing it in your own strength because in your own strength it won't work. But you can do it in the grace of God. You can do it in the anointing of God. And when you do it that way, there will be results at last. Eternal rewards coming your way. Amen. So as we close this, if this is witnessing to your heart, if you'd like to have the anointing thrown on you like Elijah did to Elijah. Now, again, I'm not a prophet. I'm not Elijah. I'm not claiming to be. But yet there's an anointing that will impact you and help you help this church go to a higher level. Help this church grow like God wants it to grow. You see, because when everybody, when every member is doing their part, when every member is doing their share, that's when things really start taking off. Amen. And, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what happens around here on a regular basis. Maybe everybody is doing their share. But even if that's the case, you can do it with more power. You can do it with more anointing. You can do it with more grace. And when you're done at the end of the day, you won't be going, oh, I'm so tired, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm wore out doing all that church work. No, when you're doing it with the anointing, you'll be going, whoo, man, that was easy. <laughs> whoo, that was fun. <laughs> Where's the next thing to do? Amen. Show me that next mountain. I'm going to move it. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. So, again, if this, is, if this is witnessing to your heart, then I'd like to lay hands on you. Usually I got my wife here too. I, I like, I like double, double barreling it. But 
today I believe God's given me hers. <laughs> so, amen. If this is if this is 